If you have a copy of scripture, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. We are making our way through this great book, the letter of the Apostle Paul to a church that he had functionally planted, Acts chapter 18. And um, we have seen that Paul is dealing with a series of issues, a series of problems that um, he knew existed in the church. He had heard the word had come to him. They had written a letter to him. He is one by one taking these issues. He will leave the best for last. They denied the resurrection. He's going to leave that for last. That's the biggest problem. And then he's going to kind of deal with them all. And there is something of a hierarchy in these issues as we go through. He's dealt with sexual immorality. He's dealt with uh, Christians taking Christians to court. He's dealt with all kinds of problems, eating meat in idolatrous worship services. And today he's going to deal with why women should have their head covered. And um, I know that some of you are going to want to rush out and get um, weave and a doily. Don't do that just yet. Um, and uh, some of you are not going to want to listen to everything that is going to be said, and you may have objections racing through your mind. And um, so I just want to encourage you to be patient, to listen patiently. And if you have complaints, we've set up an email. It is I disagree with God at gmail.com. Go ahead and mail them there. And don't expect a response. No, I'm just kidding. All right. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to look at verses 2 through 16 this morning, and I know you're going to find it helpful to have a copy of scripture open, reading along there with me. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless, especially today, let's ask him to bless us as we hear his word proclaimed and that we would believe it. Let's, let's pray. Our God, we thank you that every word that you have spoken is breathed out from you and that you have told us that every word that you have breathed out is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we thank you, O God, that you have given us hearts that submit joyfully to your word, that receive it as the very word of God, that love it. Lord, though there's a mixture so often, yet we thank you for the measure of grace that you've given us to receive it and to believe it and to know that it is your word and to know that you are God. And so we pray that you would especially bless this morning the preaching of your word, make us attentive, make us careful. Pray that your spirit would be upon the one that preaches and upon those that hear. We pray that you would give us grace to receive your word with meekness and to lay it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We thank you, O God, for the scriptures. We thank you for another opportunity to hear your word preached. We pray that Christ would be exalted. We pray that we would be drawn to him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 2, there the Apostle Paul says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife or woman is her husband or man. The word is used interchangeably. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesied with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife or a woman will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man." Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, 
because of the angels. Nobody knows what that means at all. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman is made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, as I said already, the Apostle Paul has dealt with many difficult issues. The Corinthians had come to him, and they had laid before him many questions. Well, Paul, what about this? What about this? What about this issue, Paul? And one of the things that we have, one of the difficulties we have is that we don't know every question that the Corinthians asked Paul. We have to, by the best of our ability, reconstruct the conversations that they probably had. We have to take the data that God has given us, and we have to seek to deal faithfully with it. We have to seek to deal honestly with God's word. We have to, to wrestle with it and say, what is the Apostle Paul answering? What were the Corinthians wrestling with? I think that's important as we enter into a passage like this. Edward Donnelly wisely said, we must beware of our own bias. We can too easily be guilty of talking to Scripture rather than listening to it. Now, let me say that again. I think that is a word to the 21st century church. We are too guilty of talking to Scripture rather than listening to it. Now, listening to Scripture, as you'll know, this morning is not always easy. to li- What is this saying? What is a passage about women covering their heads and not shaving them like uh, Britney Spears or Sinead O'Connor have to do with the church? What does that have to do with anything? What does, what does that have to do with praying and prophesying? Do we do that today? Is this something that's binding on all churches and all ages? What does Paul mean that this is important because of the angels? What does any of that mean? I think that as we come into this and as we look, you'll see that there are two layers. There are two layers, two things going on in this passage. The first layer is a layer in which Paul is speaking into a particular culture. Now, we are very careful, especially as Reformed believers, not to say that was only cultural. We're very careful about that. Rightly so. God's word is transcendent in so much of its teaching. Almost all of it transcends particular cultures. It's not bound to just one culture, but the apostles were writing to a particular people in a particular place with particular situations. And I think with this passage, there is one level in which he's writing into a specific context, and then there's a foundational principle for all people for all time that is binding on the church of God. And so this passage, we're not just going to write off. We're not just going to say head coverings were for then. And that's all the passage is saying. In fact, the bigger principle is not whether a woman should have really long hair or a doily on her head. The bigger principle is whether a wife is submissive to her husband in a godly way. A husband is leading her wife as he ought to and is submissive to Christ as Christ was submissive to his father in the work of redemption. And what we call functional subordinationism functional subordinationism. Now, you're going to learn a lot of big words, and you're going to feel like you are paying me for something now. You're going to get your money's worth today. And I think when we leave here, we will be the better for having looked at this passage. A lot of people would just skip over it. Today, we're going to see four things. First, we're going to see gospel subjection that brings glory. 
You'll see that in verse 2, gospel subjection that brings glory. Then we're going to see creational order that avoids dishonor. Then we're going to see qualifications that prevent abuse. And finally, personal judgment that leads to obedience. Gospel subjection that brings glory, creational order that avoids dishonor, qualifications that prevent abuse, and personal judgment that leads to obedience. Well, notice there in verse 2, the apostle has just told them, he's just dealt with that whole meat offered to idols, and almost all commentators agree this is a fresh break. This is a new beginning. The, The book is divided really in two sections. Paul's now transitioning to deal with more of issues in worship, in the context of worship, and so Paul says to them, Um, that I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. Now, this is interesting because to this point, Paul has not commended the Corinthians at all. In fact, Paul has come down on every issue, functionally correcting everything they're saying and functionally saying to them, you're not listening to me. I don't want you to forget this. I don't want you to be unaware of this. I don't want you to think otherwise. But now Paul says to them, I commend you because you remember me and everything. Now, Paul may be doing a little tactic in which he's trying to draw them in through commendation now, shifting different approaches to them. Or he may be saying to them that at this point, and I think this is what he's saying, at this point, the Corinthians were not falling into the error that they might fall into and they were danger of falling into, and that is having women in leadership in the church. That's the error. In Corinth, there were women, we call them uh, temple prostitutes, eschatological prostitutes, and they were running around saying, we're in Christ, we can do everything a man can do in the church, we are usurping authority, we are teaching, we are preaching. Paul, the apostle, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to forbid that. It doesn't matter what you think at this point. It doesn't. Let me say that as kindly as I can. It does not matter what you think. We have an email address. Go ahead and send that. Women are not to teach men in the church. And they were in danger, and yet I don't think they had fallen into it. And so Paul commends them. Paul says, listen, I commend you. You've received the tradition. You've received our writing. At this point, the Corinthian church had not compromised at this. They were on the brink of compromising. They were probably saying to Paul, 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 this is what's going on around us. There's these other women. They're on TV. They're doing their preaching. Why can't we have our female preachers? What are you saying? We're less than a man. And Paul's going to say, no, you're not less than a man, ladies. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, functionally, God has not given women the role of teaching men in the church. Functionally. Doesn't mean you're lesser in value in any way. It means that is not a role God has given to women. And so Paul begins by actually entering into how gospel subjection leads to glory. Gospel subjection. Notice Paul doesn't just attack it. He doesn't just come out and say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. It's interesting to me, the cults and sects of Christianity, when they want to attack something, they just say, that's wrong, you shouldn't do it. I've, I've thought about this all week. Paul always goes back to the gospel. Paul doesn't just say, that's wrong, don't do it. This is right, do this. That's wrong, don't do that. That's what moralists do. Paul will tell them a lot of things they should and shouldn't do, but Paul reasons with them from the gospel. Gospel subjection leads to glory. Notice verse 3. He said, I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In between God and men and women is Christ. Christ is the mediator. The head of every man is Christ, The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. 
Now, what Paul is not saying is that Jesus is less than God. This is the same Paul that gives us the biggest Christology in the Bible. It's the Paul that tells us the most about Jesus being God. He will say in Philippians 2 that he was in the form of God, that he did not consider it robbery or a thing to be held on to or grasped for to be equal with God, that he was equal with God, that in every way that God the Father is God, Jesus is God. Paul will say in Romans 9.5 that Jesus, though an Israelite, is the ever-blessed God over all. He does not throw that term out like Deepak Chopra. Flippantly, he doesn't say you're all gods, Jesus was a god, it's a god consciousness. He says Jesus is God. He is equal in every way with his father. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be God. He would be less than God. If he was almost God, but not completely God, you couldn't worship him. The disciples fell down and they worshiped Jesus. He received their worship. They held on to him. They prayed to him. When John the apostle fell down to worship an angel, the angel said, don't do that. I'm one of your fellow creatures. Jesus is not a creature. He had a body he created and a soul. He was fully man, but he is God. But in the economy of redemption... In God's work of redemption, Jesus willingly takes a role of subjection to his father. It is functional subordination. Functionally, in the function as redeemer, Jesus subjects himself to his father and he can say, my father is greater than I and I always do the will of my father. And in the garden, he prays, my father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is Jesus submitting to his father for your salvation. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was submitting to his father. If he had not submitted to his father, there would be no redemption for you and no glory from what God said he was doing. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, the head of Christ is God. Now notice what he says in verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, I will come to that, but what Paul is essentially saying is that Christ is the glory of God. That Christ in that act of gospel submission and subordination brings glory to his father. We saw that last week when we said that when we give up our own rights or, or when we exercise those rights when it's necessary, we bring God glory. Jesus always brought his father glory. And this is massive, ladies, this is massive, because if a woman doesn't like hearing what the apostle's about to say, then you don't like hearing about the gospel. Now, women submitting to husbands is not the gospel, but it is intricately related logically to what Jesus did. There is submission and subordination in the Godhead. The Savior that you worship and love did not complain about being submissive. The Savior that you worship and love did not grumble and complain and murmur about having to step aside from the role of controlling everything and getting all the glory when he was here on earth. He humbly, humbly, lowly, down, down, down he went for your salvation. He went all the way down. He stooped to wash his disciples' feet. Think about this. Jesus so subjected himself to the Father that he stooped to wash the feet of his betrayer that he knew was going to betray him. Now, if Jesus didn't accept this, if he didn't accept the functional subordination, he never would have washed the feet of his betrayer, let alone your feet and my feet, let alone your soul and my soul with his blood. 
You see, the gospel is front and center in this chapter. Christ has a head, God the Father. He obeys him in everything. Man, in the worship setting, in the setting of spiritual relations, has a head who is Christ. Woman, in the spiritual realm, in the realm of worship, has a spiritual head, man. And all of us are to take our place. And notice this, none of us are in absolute control. Men, you are not in control. You are subject to Christ. Men have a head. Women have a head. Everybody is subordinated, except for God the Father. And so Paul begins with that principle, and I think if we come into this with that principle, we understand better what Paul is about to tell us. Now, there is some debate there's a lot of debate, especially since the feminist movement, over what the word head means. And you, if you've ever studied this, you might find that there are a lot of feminist books and uh, saying that it means source, not authority. That it means source. That, uh, that man came from God, woman comes from man. It just means source. It doesn't mean anybody has any authority. Let me say this without boring you in lecture style. There is zero evidence that that's what it means in the Bible or in ancient Greek classical language. Zero. There's like 2,500 examples of the use of the word head. None of them are ever used of source. They are all used of authority or other physical head or some other usage. And so we adopt the traditional view that what they're saying is that we have authoritative figures in our life, that God has so ordered things. You know, I know we live in an anti-authority society. We don't want to submit to politicians. We don't want to submit to police officers, law enforcement, pastors, teachers. We don't want to submit. We want to be our own person, do what we want to do. He's not going to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. That's not biblical at all. It's just not biblical. And you know what? If any of you have kids, you know that's not biblical. Because your kid's not going to come in there and say, I'm not under your authority. Who are you? I'm your dad. (laughs) You will go clean your room. I had a... um, I had a mentor, he's a bit militant, but I appreciated him, and he said on one occasion, you know, a lot of people say you can't pick your your kids' friends. That's very popular. You can't pick your kids' friends for them. And he's like, yes, you can. You're the parent. You can do whatever you want. Now, Paul's going to safeguard. I already told you there's a third point. There are preventions against abuses, but the principle is that glory is brought about through these authority structures. Listen, God has so ordered things. We're not wiser than God. We're not wiser than God. When when women don't want to submit and men don't want to lead the way that Christ wants them to lead and together submit to Christ, when that doesn't happen, we're saying, I'm wiser than God. I know better than God. Now, what we're going to say today in this text, um, I was thinking about it this week. If I asked all you know, professing Christians who seem to have a sincerity about them, why do you believe Jesus is God? I expect 10 out of 10 are going to say because the Bible says so. And if I say, why do you believe that there are three persons in the Godhead? 10 out of 10 are going to say because the Bible says so. And why do you believe that you should be gathered together with the people of God on the Lord's Day worshiping God every, every Lord's Day? And they're going to say because the Bible says so. And why do you believe you should be meditating on the scripture and loving it? They're going to say, because the Bible says so. Why do you believe that you're to be submissive to governing authorities like the police and and rulers that God's, because the Bible clearly says so. The same principle rings true for this. 
if we adopt all of those things and we see that there's a wisdom to that structure, we have to understand that we submit because the Bible says so and there's a wisdom to it. God got glory through the Lord Jesus' submission. God gets glory through us falling into our proper chain of command functionally in the life of the church. Now, I think Paul is clearly talking about the life of the church. I don't think he's saying that, that men, you are head over every woman in society. I think that he is going to take it back very clearly to the garden, and he's going to say, God made Adam first. Listen, before there ever was a woman, there was a man, and he was alone, and God gave him dominion, and he named the animals, and God gave him rule and authority, and God, God had said to Adam to exercise that dominion before he makes a helpmate for him. Now, that's why Paul says what he says. And so secondly, Paul's going to tell us that creational order avoids dishonor. Creational order avoids dishonor. Notice what he says as he moves into the the context in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her short hair. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. A man not ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, we're going to get into hair. We'll get into head coverings. But what we want to see is that what Paul is doing now is he is moving from the gospel principle to the creational order. And you'll see that there in verse 7 when he says, man is the image and glory of God. Now, he's not saying, ladies, you're not the glory of God. In every way that your husband is the, glory, the image of God, you are the image of God. In every way, except in functional relations in the church. But as a being, just like Christ is God in every way, just like Christ is completely God, ladies, you are completely image bearers. And just like men are being renewed and having that image renewed into the image of Christ, ladies, you are having that image renewed. And oftentimes, ladies, you're having it done quicker than men. And this is not saying women are less spiritual than men. It's not saying that women are less wise than men. It's not saying that women are less capable of knowing the scripture, studying theology, witnessing to Jesus than men. But what it's doing is it's taking us back, and God is taking us back through Paul to the garden. And he's saying that when God created man, he created him as his image in a functional role to exercise dominion. That's why he says the man is the image and glory of God, and the woman is the glory of man. And, ladies, this is beautiful, God created women to help aid man in carrying out that dominion mandate, because we could never do it without a woman. And that's not a nice thing to say. That's a biblical thing to say. I could never do 90% of what I do without my wife. That's not lip service. She knows that's true. She carries my burden. She is my helpmate. Listen to this. I love this quote by Matthew Henry. You've probably heard it somewhere. Woman was not made out of man's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So women are not to be in front of the man. They didn't come out of his head. They're not to be in front of him and lead him. They didn't, they're not to be behind him. They're to be next to him. But God in the creation order so ordered things that there wouldn't be shame and disgrace, that men would be men, that women would be women, that men would fulfill their roles, that women would fulfill their roles, that together God would be glorified, that ladies, you actually are the glory of your husband. You bring him honor. You make your husbands look good. 
Jeff always has said to me in the past, have you ever noticed how there are women out there in the world, even unbelieving women, and they're great women, and they have lousy husbands? Why does God give so many lousy men great wives? And yet those wives bring glory to their husband, even if they're lousy husbands. Remember uh, Abigail and, and Nabal, the foolish man that, that wouldn't give David and his men any food or drink, and yet it was his wife who came out and she spared the life of her husband. She brought him honor. She was his glory. That's, that's a mini picture from the Old Testament of how God has so ordered things that the woman is a perfect helpmate and complement to the man. And you know what? When you get the creational order of things, you see that there's not shame. Because let me say this, and you don't even need me to say this. When husbands and wives don't fulfill the roles that they're given, there is tension, there is hurt, and there is not glory when people look on at that relationship. There is a shame when you look on at that relationship. There is a sadness over how these people are not fulfilling the roles God has given them. And it's part of the curse, isn't it? God said to, to Eve that her desire would be to rule and, and take her husband's role, and his desire would be to be heavy-handed with her after forfeiting that role. And so everything is marred and corrupted because of the fall. No, it doesn't take you long. I mean, this is why people have four, five, six marriages. This is why people without Christ in the world see divorce as a very normal thing. They see it as a good thing. It's a solution to not fulfilling the roles that God has given us. And so Paul is telling us that there's a creational wisdom. Now, Paul is going to use this under the illustration of hair, long hair, short hair, covered hair, covered head, uncovered head, men with long hair, women with long hair. It may be that he's dealing with a society much like ours. It may be that there's lesbians trying to usurp authority. Corinth is not a, a moral society. Um, it may be that men were acting like women in the church. When Paul talks about men having long hair, you know, I was thinking about even in our culture, um, while it's not, there's nothing morally sinful about a man having long hair, the Chinese, for, for centuries, the men had long hair. There's something cultural here to a degree. But, you know, even Aerosmith, dude looked like a lady. I mean, you know, dude looked like a lady. Don't make me sing it. It... It's been in my head for like three days. Um, there's something where we recognize that men are to be men and women are to be women. Men are to look like men. Women are to look like women. In the natural world, women are not to try to be dudely. They're not trying to dress like dudes. They're not trying to be a dude. And dudes are not try, should not try to be women. Now, that's a natural creational analogy that Paul is using to say in the church, in our realms of God-given authority and structure, women are not to try to be like men, and men are not to try to be like women, and it should be evident that you are a woman and that you are a man. Um, somebody told me yes, uh, last week that they went to a church in the nearby area, and they called it a cult, I'm sure it was, and that they walked in and they said all the women had hair down below their hips, and all the men sat on one side of the church, and all the women sat on the other side. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul's teaching. But Paul is saying that the natural creational order that avoids shame, even by nature what we see, ought to be an evident expression in the spiritual realm. So I'm not telling the men to cut their ears 
to cut their hair above their ears. I'm not saying that. I'm not telling the women how long their hair have to be. But women have to look like women and men have to look like men. And in the marriage relationship, the woman has to visibly show that she is respecting her husband. Now, what would that look like in our culture? How you talk to your husbands in front of people? Do you boss them around? Do you tell them to go do what you want them to do in front of people or in the home? Do you speak ill of them when you're out with other women? Do you put them down in front of other people? Do you cut them off when they're trying to make a point or talk? These are things that are evident to people who is the head of the household. Men, are you leading your wives gently? Are you showing them that God is giving you that role and that like Christ fulfilled his role, you are in humble, sacrificial love and service going to fulfill that role? Or do you go home and watch TV and don't do devotions? Don't wash your wife with the water of the word. Don't lead her. Don't guide her. When she asks you what the pastor meant about something, you don't say, well, I don't know, but I'll go find out. You're just like, I don't know. So then she goes and finds out. That would be a, a abandoning of the principle Amen. that Paul is talking about. Amen. Now, there's a wisdom to this too. There's a wisdom to this. Ladies, if you come across something in the scripture and you, you say, I don't, I don't know what that means. I do that every day, by the way. We all do it. But ladies, you do that. You say, I don't know what this means. Um, and you go to your husband and you're like, honey, what does this mean? And he's like, I don't know. And that's fine because there's lots of things we don't know. But then he's like, well, I'm going to go get out you know, my Bible and a commentary. I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to call the pastor. I'm going to find out what this means. I'm going to, I'm going to study and be diligent to be a leader. And then he comes back and he's like, well, honey, here's, here's what I think it means. And he can barely articulate it, but he gets it out. And she's like, wow, that's, thank you for doing that. And then she goes, tells all her friends, I have the best husband in the world. I asked him the other day about this, and he took like two hours to try to figure out. What, th that's wisdom. And then he, he gets to go back and talk to all his friends about how his wife comes to him and respects his leadership and respects his authority. And there's a mutual, loving wisdom to that. And it's built into the creation ordinance. You know, Adam failed. Back at creation, Adam failed. Adam forfeited his authority and role. The serpent came in, and Adam's just like, and Eve's over here being deceived. And Adam should have protected her. By the way, it's a lot easier to accept a passage in this, like this than a historical Adam and Eve, and yet we believe that because that's in the Bible. And Adam you failed. He forfeited that role. He gave up. His responsibility, he brought the fall. You see the shame that came in through Adam forfeiting his leadership. Men, this is as much a passage to you as it is to women. Amen. This is as much a passage to you. No, I think when he says that, I think when he says that um, a woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, He's not saying that women should be praying publicly and leading the congregation and prophesying publicly. He's saying they shouldn't be doing that. Their head is the man and he should be doing that. That's what Paul's saying. He doesn't argue for the, for the, the positive order of it by saying she shouldn't be doing it. She should not be doing it. He's telling the church. In chapter 14, he's going to say, I don't permit a woman to speak or exercise authority over a man. Paul is going to clearly say that. Paul is an apostle. There is a created order to this. Calvin, and you may think it's harsh, but Calvin says about spiritual leadership in the church, why would God give woman something after the fall he didn't give her before the fall? 
Why would God give a woman something after the fall that he didn't give her before the fall? When Adam and Eve were perfect, Adam was the spiritual head and leader of his wife. And that's a very powerful and potent point. Now, let me just say this quickly because we're running out of time. Uh, Paul gives a qualification to prevent abuse. Notice there in verse 12, in verse 11, he says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so is now man made from woman. So notice what Paul's saying. Lest a man abuse his wife and dominate her and hold this over her chauvinistically and selfishly, he's saying, women, you came from the side and from a rib of man. And ever since then, men come from you. And there is a mutual uh, union between men and women in the Lord. There's a mutual dependence between men and women. So you see how Paul is balancing out the abuse of this. Don't think chauvinistic cultures, Muslim cultures. Don't think about female oppressing cultures. Jesus honored women. He taught women. He showed himself to women first after he rose from the dead. He didn't show himself to his apostles, but he didn't choose women to be apostles. He honored them. He treated them with dignity and respect. Paul will praise women, Phoebe. Paul will praise Chloe. Paul will speak well of women. The Apostle John will praise women. But they do not have the God-given right to exercise authority or teach men in the church. And so there is a safeguard. There is a qualification to prevent abuse. And then finally, notice verse 13 and following. Paul now says, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her, her head uncovered? So Paul has pretty much taken the force of all this, and he said, you judge all these things. If you can honestly say it's proper, if you're going to still contend. And you know what, ladies? There are men that contend against this. I mean, this is not a sermon against women that disagree with this. There are lots of men that disagree that think women should teach men in the church. And Paul basically says, judge among yourselves. These things are true. You need to come to terms with that. And when Paul says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, he means if you disagree, you don't get to act on that. We don't have that practice in the church. You can disagree, but you are not going to act on it in the church. Now, people may not like to hear that. I understand that. There are a lot of hard things in the Bible people don't like to hear. I think that this, while it seems like a fairly insignificant passage of Scripture on some levels, is a test of how submissive you are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If we say we believe in him, if we say he's our savior, if we, are, we say we're trusting him for redemption and that we believe that the scriptures are authoritative, this is a test for us of whether or not we really are going to humbly, in faith, submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus. It's a test. You know, this is the sermon no pastor wants to preach. I'm glad I get to preach it, actually. You know why? Because on Judgment Day, I can say I am free from the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare the whole gospel. And no fear of man and no differences of opinion or people or whatever people say in society is going to change the fact that God has spoken Amen. in his word. And you know what? If you forget everything else that's said, don't forget this. God's word is authoritative. And he tells us how his church is to be governed and how our marriages are to be ruled. And you know what? Let me say this too. If you don't like this, just know it will be evident to other people that you don't like it in your marriage. And you won't have fulfillment in that marital structure. You know, think about the feminist movement of the 70s. I've heard Alistair Begg say this. You know, all those women that were spearheading the feminist movement, they're all now 
in their 70s, don't have children, they're done with their careers, they didn't find the fulfillment they should have found in Christ, let alone in marriage and with children. They're bitter, they're lonely, and it was a failed experiment. Now, the church is to look different than that. When the world sees us, we're to look different. They should say there's something different about those people. Not that the women are oppressed. Ladies, it's not about men oppressing women. It's about people humbly submitting to the Lord Jesus and what he has said in his word for his church. And you know what? I love when I see a godly man leading his wife faithfully. I am provoked to be more faithful with my wife. I have several friends that are much godlier than me. And when they tell me how they lead their wives in devotions, how they lead their children, how they're trying to step up as leaders in the church, it is a challenge to me and an encouragement to me. And when I see the godly women who love their husbands and respect them and speak honorably of them, I see the spirit of Jesus Christ in those women. And I see Christ being exalted and the husband getting honor and the wife getting honor and the mutual wisdom. Remember, there's a mutual wisdom that God is so packed into his instructions for our life in the church. Um, Let me say this as we close. I know this is long. If you struggle with this, there's a gospel. If men, if you have failed to lead your wives in the home as the spiritual leader, there is a gospel. There's forgiveness in Christ. Go to him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him for power. He died to forgive our failure to lead our wives as we ought to. Women, if you struggle with not liking to hear this, wanting to tell your husbands what to do, wanting to exercise authority over them, there's a gospel. The Lord Jesus died for that. He died for that. You know, don't forget that, that there is pardon and there is power in Christ crucified. And he is making all things new, and he is getting glory as we follow the Lord Jesus and his example. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge how difficult many of these things are and and how we have just skimmed the surface. And Lord, we acknowledge our own failings. We acknowledge as men of this congregation how we have failed to lovingly wash our wives with the water of the word, how we have failed to pray with them and to nurture them and to lovingly bear with them and to instruct them and to lead them and, and to be leaders at church and in the community. And we pray that you would have mercy on us, Father. We pray for the women of this congregation that you would so pour your spirit out on them that they would joyfully follow the leadership of their husbands and would seek to promote that and would honor them. And we thank you, our God, for how good you are. And we thank you for uh, giving us the example in yourself in the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ to you, Father. We pray as we come to the table that we would recognize that, that his submission purchased redemption for us all the benefits that we now enjoy in him. Lord Jesus, please take your word and make it powerful in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.